0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for these men and women who are journeying with us in the book of Judges. Lord, it's just an interesting lesson tonight. We've got no more Judges, and, and Samson is dead, and it just picks up with more weird things, and this text is very unique, and, and God, it's an honor to study it because we learn through these really odd texts sometimes, and the, 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 tonight's lesson isn't going to be taught in a Sunday school class or anything like that. you never grow up with this class, with this lesson, but it's in the Bible, Lord, and we're honored to study it, and I, Lord, there's so much we can learn from it. And there's so many bad characters in this text, Lord. In fact, every character in this text is bad. And bad examples are sometimes really good examples because they teach us by their bad example. And so I'm so glad, Lord, that we get to study this tonight. I thank you for uh, these men and women. I thank you for those who are listening on the podcast. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so my evening and afternoon. um, So I'm I'm home with my kids during uh, the day and they've got their e-learning stuff. And all of a sudden we started smelling a weird funky smell in the house, like, like a burnt plastic smell. And I'm like, my gosh, what, what's going on here? I mean, it's, it's, and so I'm springing into action. I'm going around the house and it just so happened to be the time of the day where the sun was like going through the windows really strong. And, and it was just really hard to see, like and everything it looked smoky at some point, like, okay, because it's the way the sun was shining. I'm like, oh, is, is, that, is that smoke I'm seeing? No, not really. It's just sun coming through. All these things. And I was just kind of freaking out, like, where is the smoke coming from? Checking the stove, checking every outlet I can find. And it was just one of those crazy things. I just could not figure it out. And then towards, uh, towards dinner time, the refrigerator wouldn't stop beeping, like five beeps every like 40 seconds. I'm like, oh, great. All right, so... And so I start sniffing around the refrigerator, in my case, literally sniffing around the refrigerator and I'm smelling it. You know, the wife's like, he's just you're lighting a candle. We're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, I'm like going into like the broiler and the stove. I'm like, all right, something's gotta be going on here. Why up it be in the refrigerator? And we pull the refrigerator out and we're peeking around and all of a sudden uh, she sees some fire down there at the very bottom. Like, I'm like okay, well, it's the refrigerator. So one of those days, and, you know, it's just one of those things where what do you do? You get dinner on the table, you know, get, get the kids eating, we're freaking out. We're both on our phones, Googling, you know, answers. I'm like, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? <sighs> and try not to have anxiety, try not to freak out. It's like, what do you do in these moments when life just is weird and it's just odd? Well, what do I counsel people in moments like that? I counsel them very simple counsel. It's this, there's things that you can control and things that you can't control. Okay, so if it works for the people that cancel, you better do it's kind of like my old algebra teacher used to say, It's like, what do you do to one side of the equation? You better do to the other side of the equation pretty doggone quick. You just gotta balance it out. So if it works for them, it's gonna work for me. What are the things I could control? Well, I could control my attitude. And I snapped at the wife a couple of times, I snapped at the kids a couple of times before I could teach this class tonight, I had to go and say, you know what? I was a jerk, please forgive me. I can't go teach this class after being a jerk. I, just, I, I could have handled certain things better. I kind of lost my cool a little bit. I did a better job than I thought I was going to, but still, I had to do that. And what's another thing I could do? I could get on the phone with the with a repair center and get get an appointment for tomorrow morning. All right, I could do that. Now, what are things outside of my control? Almost everything else. The things that are within my control, I better honor God. And when I didn't, I had to confess. And when I did, I, I can feel a little bit good about that. And when I was outside of my control, I'm going to trust God. So tonight, as we're filling up a cooler and sticking it in the garage, and hopefully the garage is going to stay cool so we don't lose all of our milk, that kind of stuff, fine. But and when it's crazy, the kind of things you do reveal a lot about you. And when life doesn't quite make sense, you're either going to choose to do what's right in your own eyes, or you're going to honor God.
1: Now, I wasn't anticipating this to be my intro for this class tonight, but it is. And we're in
0: Judges 17 and 18 tonight. And this is, this story is just messed up. There is no way to get around it. At least with the Samson narratives and the other judges you're looking at, it, you're going, well, yeah, you know, he's holding tough cards, or he's got this, or he's got that, you know, okay, well, there's this. And, you know, with Samson, he's like a Samson. He just just at all times, just a jerk and just making wrong decisions. And he was just a really, really good teaching. It was really good for us because we could like, don't be like Samson. Here, there's nobody you can be like. This whole story is, well, let's just get in. Uh, this is a Judges 17. Uh, I've got it here kind of like on your page here. An idolater with an ironic name hires a wandering opportunist to help him. And together they influence a wandering tribe that kind of sounds like one of those like movie trailers in a world where there are no judges one man stepped into the gap and did this. Well, uh, here we go judges 17 one to six, you know what, not all my jokes can work there we go now a man named Micah Um, I've got, I've got people in my family named Micah, it may be Mika in the Hebrew but uh it works okay now a man named micah from the hill country of ephraim said to his mother the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which i heard you utter a curse i have that silver with me i took it what is this the opening to like a a really bad like middle of the day tv show or something geez then his mother said the lord bless you my son Uh okay When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord. Oh, that sounds really good, by the way. All right, great. Great. She's going to solemnly, she gets her silver back, and she's going to make it an offering to God. What a great lady. Oh, we got to finish the sentence, don't we? I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. Oh, I'll give that silver back to you. Okay. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make an idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod. And ephod was the uh, what the high priest wore. I'm kind of lifting up my shirt here. That breastplate, that linen thing, the breastplate fits into. And it's it's anyone who saw the ephod with, Oh yeah, that's what the high priest wears and it's, it's tied to like worship. And okay. So he's making a, an ephod. So it's like a worship thing. Okay. He, he, he used them to make an eye. Okay. he's put in his house. He made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no King. Everyone did as they saw fit literally in Hebrew, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah, they did. Didn't they? My goodness. Um, So we have here an idolater with an ironic name. Why is it an ironic name? Well, if you look at the page here, number one, who is like Yahweh? Micah means who is like Yahweh. Well, apparently anyone is like Yahweh. I mean, who is like our God? It implies the answer, no one's like our God. You know that song? There is no one like our God. No one. God is holy. God is unique. God is separate. There is no one like Yahweh. That is commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me as in in my category, as in there are other options, none. But with this Micah guy, literally with that as his name, he lives exactly the opposite. Everyone's like Yahweh. He doesn't really mean it. I'm just going to have a house full of shrines and gods. and, And yeah, oh my goodness. And Robbery curses fear, oh my. I mean, what kind of guy robs his mom? And then what kind of mom turns around and utters a curse? Like in a world where that was like a magical thing, in a time period where like uh, people were like giving each other stink eyes, i like, oh, that was a huge curse. I mean, it's, it, that was like the worst thing she could have done to, to get, I mean, my goodness, um, yeah. This is just a weird little family dynamic here. Um, and um, you know what? Someone chatted. I got to get the chat pulled. Hold a second. Um, okay. This is coming in from the the adult in the Charlie Brown cartoon. Nice. The irony is that, that Israel did have a king, God, and he was not heeded throughout the book of Judges that said, when God is not your Lord, you do what is right in your own eyes. That's exactly right. That's just, that's it. I mean, it's, I mean, we just remember that a couple books later, you know, Samuel is going to throw a fit. He's the last judge, and he's going to throw a fit because the people are rejecting him, and he's going to God. It's like God's like, no, they're actually rejecting me. They're rejecting me as their king. They're asking for a king. It's saying less about you, Samuel. It's more about God and about these people. And, yeah, they're just rejecting God as their king. That's exactly right.
1: Um Idolatry dedicated to God. Just just let that sink in for one second. So she gets her silver back.
0: And rather than like, wow, let me, you know, let's let's throw a party. Let's have, you know, this isn't like Luke 15 where the woman's sweeping her house for her her, her coin. And then the angels in heaven are singing because, you know, one lost sinner has come back. No, this isn't like that. This is, oh, I got my silver back. Let me now honor God by... Breaking commandment number two It's like, let me just honor God by doing something I know God's not going to be pleased with. It'll make me feel better, but it's not going to make God happy at all. Um, yeah, Rachel, I'm just gonna let that, let that one stay there because I don't want to, I don't want to read that one, but yeah, that's, religion is all in his own eyes. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the next thing here. he, he kind of raises up a son to be um, his priest. Yeah, priest. Okay, so it's like the old line: not 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 all bat, not all men are bachelors, but all bachelors are men. Um, not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites. And so you and we'll see that with the Levite coming up here. You have to have. You just can't make a priest. A priest has to come from a certain clan. Of the Levites called the Kohathites. They're the only ones that could be the priest. The rest have to be are just plain Levites. And so you just don't make a priest. And this dude's making a priest is like, okay, I'm going to make God happy. I'm just going to you know be this kind guy of picking a church at random, not knowing what they believe, and going come just you know, land my kind of land my plane there for a while. Like hold on a second. So this guy is or th- this this family, his religion is all about it. It's all about his decision, whatever is right in his own eyes, and we who follow god the first thing we learn is that god is god and we are not the second thing we learn is is that god sets the standards and he sets his standard with his word with his word and his bible is the standard thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path it's like that's not my own light it's god's and so yeah there's just so many bad choices here in these first few verses so we get to the blue questions here you can't honor god by disobeying him And it's tied to the next thing, the ends and the means. If you're the kind of person, they were like, you know, the ends will justify the means. Wrong. If the means are sin, the ends are sin. If there's something in your life you are sinning to hang on to, that thing is an idol. It's like you cannot just sit there and go, well, God knows my heart. He knows what I really am going for. So I realize I can't really justify this. But you know, you know, God, God will get it. God, hold on. It's like this woman tried to honor God by constant by basically saying, God, I'm going to make this silver holy by doing something with it. That is profane. I mean, that makes zero sense at all. And it makes even less sense when we try to do that with God, when we try to say, well, God, you know what? I get it. I could have made a better choice, but you know, It'd be like saying, I'm just going to go and I'm going to gamble all my paycheck on the off chance that I can tie 10% of it. And, I mean, that, I'm just not going to be a good steward because I know if I get a payoff, I'm going to be able to give it to God. Really? I mean, that, and that's, that's even then kind of like a cheesy example, but I mean, it'd be kind of like in a, if like someone came up to a counselor and said, you know, God's telling me to divorce my husband. I doubt it. I mean, I got to handle that a little bit better than that, but it's like, I I don't think so. I don't think that's what God says. The same God who says in his word, I hate divorce, is probably not telling you to divorce your husband. Whether or not biblically you can have grounds for divorce, that's a different issue. But now you're making God both the means to an end that is your end. And so this woman is making her own means to an end. She's making God into something that is pleasable maybe to manipulate i i don't i don't even know if that's what she's doing because the guy's doing that it's very i mean he says here uh well we're gonna we're gonna get there we're gonna get there but yeah god is just a name god is not um yeah i don't think god really matters that much it's like we're happy you're here god and you know you're our god and all but We got this, this whole religion, this whole life thing. You know, we're still underneath the domination of these other peoples and the Philistines or whatnot. I don't think, God, you've been God for a while. So maybe you're not going to care. And so, yeah, the guys you keep raising up are bozos like Samson. You know, I don't know. Someone texted Aaron did the same with the golden calf as a representation for God. Correct. The danger with that and that why God doesn't want us to even make an image is that because the representation eventually becomes replacement. Yeah, and there's the other thing of don't make an image of, of what you can't possibly describe. And it doesn't matter if you have Michelangelo himself making this image. This is still God. And are you going to reduce God to a perfect sculpture? That's still a sculpture. You can't reduce the Almighty to something here. So yeah, uh, and once you once you make an image, you're going to want to worship it or control it or, you know, wipe the, the bird poop off of it and go, well, God, I wiped the bird poop off your statue. I'm just saying, you know, it's we, we already get that manipulation there with idols um yeah god is just a name god god so far and back you're not going to see god in this text by the way god god is it, she just drops i mean she's she pulls a boaz here with his labors like the lord bless you the lord bless you and she turns right around the lord bless you my son may yahweh bless you now may i commit idolatry in yahweh's name it's like really i mean. How? I mean, this is messed up. This text is weird, but we gotta land the plane first of all. You don't you can't honor God by disobeying God. There is no scenario where you can you can justify disobeying God and then still honoring God with that choice. It's impossible. You can't you can't you can't honor God with, with intentional sin that never honors God. Now God, God certainly uses those things, but you know, it's like say, you know, Hagar and Sarah, you know, they, a, a, you know Abraham. They, okay, God certainly is using our, our, our choices and our decisions. But to, to consciously say, I'm going to honor God by sinning, that's a non-sequitur. It just doesn't follow. All right, well, next, an idolater with an ironic name hires a wandering opportunist to help him. My goodness, 7 to 13. A young Levi from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah left that town in search of some other place to stay. That already doesn't make sense, by the way. An original reader would go, wait a minute. The Levites, what's he doing moving around? All you Levites, because in the ancient world, when God divvied up the land, all the tribes got their own chunk of land, but the Levites didn't. The Levites got pockmarked through all the land towns, and you had your Levitical cities, and they got the land, and they got the pasture land around that city, and that was it. Because they weren't meant to have an inheritance. Their inheritance was God. Okay, they were the original pastors. It's like, no, no, no. The, the, the church will take care of them as it were. So God, they don't have to worry about that. So he's moving. All of a sudden, the original reader is going, whoa, wait a minute. What's go, We got to continue. He was in search of some place to stay, some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. So he's going way the heck up north. What's this guy doing? This wasn't like an interstate highway system going up. What were you doing leaving your ancestral area? Okay. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah. And so Micah, if he had his head on straight, he'd be going, so what are you doing? You know, Are you here, you're here for a day trip or something? Like, what's going on? Get your butt back down. Okay. I'm from Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Okay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and You thought your family was weird. Be my father and my priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. So both his father and his son. You figure out the math there. I don't know. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Ah. Well, you got a couple of texts coming in here from Daniel. God doesn't like graven images because they are a form of lobbying him. And that's just not how God works. That's right. Manipulation doesn't belong in earthly relationships. It certainly doesn't belong in your relationship to God. And Randy, presumably there
1: wasn't much business for Levites in Bethlehem. I guess. That just took off, you know. What do you do? All right. So uh, we
0: finished to 13 there. Yep, and now I know that the Lord will be good to me since his Levites become my priest. Geography of the Levite in Israel. Yeah, this guy was down there. Now he's up there. And yeah, there's, we're going to find out more information about this guy at the end of, of chapter 18. And he will be from a certain area. So he's already way out of his area. He's out of his place. He, he's, the fact that he was wandering around He just gives the flavor of like a snake oil salesman. Like, I'm just going to go, and I'm just going to go to this next place, and maybe someone will, will bring me on, and I'll do some religious things, and maybe they'll you know, kind of come at you and, and bless this and bless that, and maybe they'll, they'll throw some money my way or they'll take care of me. It's like I'm kind of like God for hire or something. I don't know. It just has this weird feeling to it. Levites weren't meant to do that. They were meant to stay put. They were meant to minister to the people God gave them. You know, we feel bad when pastors do that, when they hop from church to church. Now imagine there is no church and you're just with God. And that to, to, to leave where God has placed you, that, no, it, it just doesn't make sense. And um, yeah, it's sad, really, texting godly superstition. Everyone is doing bad theology. This is a horrible theology. This guy, well, you know, I'm going to install this priest and now God's going to like me. And God's going to do what I want because I've, I've got something that, that models what he, what he set up. And I've got it in my house with all my household idols. And household idols were meant to divine things. I'm going to figure out the future. I get to have my little idols. And, and they were very popular. And so now, now I've got a priest. Ah, now I've got imprimatur. Now I've got the legitimacy, prestige. This guy gets an opportune moment for stability and he jumps at it. like Yes, I'll be your household priest. A a priest, you said, boy, you know, he probably wasn't a priest. He was just a Levite. Okay, he probably wasn't going to get that promotion because he wasn't a Kohathite. And here he is, the Levite going to play in the big leagues here. And yeah, I'll do it. Um, Opportunities here. My dad used to have this saying, he used to say, load the hump, son. And loading the hump is really bad biology. Um, well, my dad's argument was a camel's out in the desert and he comes across water and so he drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks, and he loads his hump and he has water to go for a while. And uh, it's just not true. A camel's hump is made, is made of fat and it's like some kind of a temperature regulation system. He does, the camel doesn't actually load the hump, but the, the, the idea about taking advantage of opportunities is still there. My dad was saying, hey, you know what? And I had, saw, had this happen all the time when I was a youth pastor. I was hardly making anything. And a, and a family invited me over for dinner. And I said, yes, ma'am. I come over and I eat dinner. And they, and they, they, they know that I'm probably not going to have a lot of groceries that week because I, you know, I look like I haven't had a lot of groceries in my life. And, and they send me home a Tupperware. And I'm eating that, that glorious meal the next few days. That was loading the hump. It's like, take advantage of opportunities. And especially in my case, I was humble about it. And in this guy's case, not so much they taking advantage of opportunities when they're ble- they're a blessing to you, and there's being opportunistic, and um, yeah, if this guy and before you 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 react and say, "Oh, come on, you're being harsh on him," he's a Levite being asked to being the head priest of an idolatrous house cult, and his first words weren't, "Whoa, hold on here," uh, yeah, you know what? I, I like the shekels, I like the food, I like the house, but we got to honor God here. Not this, you know, silver nonsense. I mean, I can't, I mean, I love you, pal, but I can't go there. No, no, no. He jumps at it. He's like, yes, money. Yes, food. It doesn't matter what I got to do. I'm good. I have, I have stability. And certain people are looking for stability in life so much that they'll jump through whatever hoop is necessary. And this guy did. Our decisions do not influence God. This guy's theology was horrible. Um, Our decisions never influence God. Ever, because that makes God ninety nine percent God and you one percent God, and you can you can massage those numbers all you want, but God is God and you are not. If God is influenced by my decisions and I have something on God, He's not God anymore. You don't. I don't want you worshiping that God if I've got something on God. Our decisions cannot influence God. Does God use our decisions? Does God lead us to make decisions? God is God. He's sovereign. His plan is unfolding yes but our decisions do not influence god that doesn't make sense if god is sovereign that he's wait, he would be waiting on us to make our decision before he knows what to do that's not a god who is completely sovereign anymore and I text in it'd be like adopting a catholic priest and thinking that somehow that action blesses you yeah uh tell evangelists do this using god's things to legitimize their shenanigans and lavish lifestyles god leverages our bad decisions yeah well yeah it's it's i mean don't get me wrong I, I i i've been a pastor for a few years especially when i was a pastor of a small church and and i would have guys come over and, and to help repair something ironically i'd probably have a, refer, a refrigerator repair guy come over or something like that and he'd cut me a deal because he's he, he was and I, if i had I, so many times i've heard this you know what this is the church you know what i'm just i'm just going to charge you the labor i'm not going to charge you anything no i can't do it you know and a couple few times i remember getting stuff done for free i didn't ask for it i was ready to pay i was right there i'm like can i see the invoice like well you know and he was re- and the, the some of these workers were just like you know i i, I want to do right by a pastor because it's going to look good for me and i'm like well darn it i'm in this weird position now where it's like i want to honor this guy for you know being willing to cut his rate or whatnot, but at the same time, it's like I'm, I'm willing to pay, well, just say a blessing for me. Well, I don't want to just monetize what I do now, so let me just pray for you. Let's just stop what we're doing. Let me put my hand on your shoulder, sir, and let's just pray. Let's really have at this. I'd still like to pay my bill, but I, get, I would get people all the time wanting to do that, and I, I understand the temptation. I'm not going to say these guys' temptation was I want to get one with God or anything like that. No, but I get it you want to do a pastor or do someone a solid because maybe you'll get it back. I don't know, but I do know here, that's what he's got going on because the text literally says it. And so I don't have to guess. It's like, he's, he's, he's being, he's being darned by his words here. So um, our decisions don't influence God because God looks at the heart. So God's going to do well by me because I've got a shrine and I've got a priest And I've got, you know, I've got the real deal. So God has to listen. No, he doesn't because God sees your heart. If that's the way God worked, then David would never have been king. God would have taken all the strapping, handsome, gun show-esque brothers, and God would have taken all those guys. He wouldn't have taken David, a little smelly guy out in the field with the sheep, the young dude. No way. God's not going to take, but you know what? People look at the outside, the text says, but God looks at the heart. So if you're trying to pull the fast one with God, God sees your heart. You can't hide it. God sees your heart. Don't ever forget that. We're tempted to want to pull that fast one. If I just do this, God's going to be happy with me. No, obey God. That's what makes God happy. If you honor him by obeying him and trusting him, having a faith like a child, and a child is innocent and a child trusts
1: I think that's what, what makes God happy. Are you kidding me?
0: Well, an idolater with an ironic name hires a wandering opportunist to help him, and together they influence a wandering tribe. Let me scroll this down here so we can see. And do dee here we go. 18, 1 to 31, yes, the entire chapter. Let's just read it. In those days, Israel had no king. It had to remind us, okay, there's no king. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites were seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Well, no kidding. Go back to Judges chapter 1. They were, they were the worst of the worst. The Danites not only didn't drive anybody out. Go back to chapter 1. They themselves got driven out. They were the ultimate conquer the promised land fail. No wonder they're looking around for some place to go. The Danites, are you kidding me, Dan? All right, all right. Uh so the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zora and Eshtaol to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all the Danites. They told them, Go explore the land. So they entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, wouldn't you know it? Where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levites. Evidently, this guy had a voice. It's like uh, the late Sean Connery or something. You hear, you hear Sean Connery's voice, you like, hey, that's Sean Connery. Or the late Alex Trebek had another voice too. They hear this guy's voice, you're like, hey, I know that guy. In a world where there's no TV, there's no radio, there was no newspapers, to recognize some guy by his voice. This guy must have been a dude that had traveled around and had a rep or something because they recognize this guy's voice. Dang. All right. They recognize this guy from his voice. So they turned in and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? Hint, hint. What are you doing up here? You're the Bethlehem guy. What's going on up here? Are you kidding me? What is this all about? So he told them what Micah had done for him. He said, He has hired me and I am his priest. Okay, so the people could see there are silver idols and that kind of stuff because they went into the house. All right. Wow. Well, then they said to him, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. See, it doesn't matter. They're probably thinking, you know, that's hogwash. You're no priest. But you know what? You're a priest now, are you? This is like turning into a Stooges episode. Oh, you're a priest now, are you? Well, guess what? Do a priestly thing and go inquire. Boom. All right. Well, whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, go in peace. You can imagine just, you get on monotone, go in peace. Yes, God has heard you. Go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. So the five men left and went to Laish, where they saw the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, at peace and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anyone else. Hence, easy pickings. When they returned to Zora and Eshtayol, their fellow Danites asked them, how did you find things? They answered, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land. It's very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you'll find an unsuspecting people on a spacious land that God has put into your hands. A land that lacks nothing, whatever. Contrast this with 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. That was God clearly sticking out the 12 spies to go spy on Canaan with a God-sanctioned warfare to go get it. And here, this is just th- tossing God's name into a pot, stirring it up a few times. And look at that jiffy pop coming out the top. Wow. It's like, no, where is God? God is just a name that people toss out here. That's it. Then 600 men of the Danites, armed for battle, set out from Zorah and Eshtaiol. On their way, they set up near Kiriath, jerem and Judah. This is why the place west of Kiriath-Jerim is called Mahanadan to this day. From there they went to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men who had spied out the land of Laish said to their fellow Danites, Do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, some household gods, and an image overlaid with silver? Now you know what to do, by the way. What did God's word say at that point? What you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go in and drive out the idolaters. You're supposed to go in and take care of business and cleanse the land and honor God. Not go in and start partying and and start looking for divine guidance from some idol, which is what they did. So they turned there. They went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites armed for battle stood at the entrance of the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside, took the idol, the ephod, all the household gods, while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance of the gate. When the five men went into Micah's house and took the idol, the ephod and the household gods, the priest said to them, what are you doing? They answered them, shut it. Don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. Oh, this song and dance again. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priests rather than just one man's household? The priest was very pleased. This isn't, much, this isn't much of a priest, is it? He took the ephod, the household gods, and the idol and went along with the people. Putting their little children, their livestock and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. When they had gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and they overtook the Danites. As they shattered after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, what's the matter with you? Gee, what could be on his mind? What's the matter with you? and that you called out your men to fight. He replied, you took the gods I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask what's the matter with you? The Danites answered, don't argue with us <laughs> or some of the men may get angry and attack you and you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went their way and Micah, seeing as they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. They took my- then they took what Micah had made and his priest and went to Laish, against the people at peace and secure. They attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. Their city was in a valley near Beth Rehob. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan, because evidently that's their name, and their ancestor, after their ancestor, Dan, who was born to Israel, though the, the city used to be called Laish. There, the Danites set up for themselves the idol, and now we get this Levite's name finally, Jonathan, Yonatan, which means God's, God has given or God's gift, Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses. Oh, so we knew this guy was a
1: Levite. So we knew already he was connected to Moses and Aaron. Okay. And this guy even goes back to Moses even. Dang, talk about rubbing salt. And a key family in Israel's history. Man,
0: uh, his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan till the time of captivity of the land. They continued to use the idol Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh, not too far away, by the way. Like, this guy wants a legitimate priest for legitimate worship.
1: There already were legitimate priests and legitimate worship just, to, just a few hours that way.
0: Uh. There's a search, back to our worship, our, our worksheet here. There's a search for legitimacy and inheritance. And yeah, they want, Micah just wants things legitimate. And Dan just wants an inheritance all over again. Ah, we've
1: got an encounter
0: just full of revelations here. and they, they want to hear. They want to hear from God. And so the, the, the priest gives them exactly what they want to hear. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be fine. Live long and prosper, pal. You're good. And uh, come with me. If this Levite was any kind of a Levite, we would expect him to say, wait a minute. Thank you for coming to rescue me. I realize I made a big blunder and take me away from here. This needs to be destroyed. This is This is bad. And, you know, I... And all of my prayers, God has not left me alone about this. Why did you thank you for coming? You know, and said, Oh, you want me to come serve you now. And the idols get to come with me. And uh, wow, it's going to be a promotion. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, it's hard to, it's kind of like a Godfather offer there. I really can't say no. I mean, you really like me, I guess. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm moving up on the world. I, I'm going to do it. Um, there's so many revelations here um, that it's pretty, it's just pretty terrible. The things that were revealed in this text, the things that, that, were, that, that each character is learning about the situation, just don't glorify God at all. What's the, iron, the great irony of Dan? Dan, the worthless conquerors, all of a sudden turn into warlike giants. The guys who can't drive out their own parcel of land that God literally gave them and gave them this victory just to snatch it. These guys want to go picking on people. These guys want to start flexing their muscles and pushing things around. These are the Dan. This is not like Judah coming up, coming up state and Judah flexing his muscles. We're like, oh, well, those are the Judahites. They don't mess around. They're the big boys. These are the Danites. I mean, you're thinking of yogurt right now. I mean, this is, it's like Dan, I mean, are you kidding me? The Danites, the great irony of Dan is that they want to start pushing around unsuspecting peoples that can't really push back. These guys, they got pushed out of their land by the, I don't know, Ammonites or whatever they, whatever whoever was there. Go back to Judges one and check it out. They were too fearful to conquer their own territory, but they're clearly willing to conquer a defenseless Laish and then take advantage of a weaker Micah. Now we would expect them to be God's people and come in and just clean out the idols, like I mentioned, but they don't. They take them because they're worth money. And there's a chance that we can we can inquire about God. We can, get, we can get that priestly guy on our side, get him on our household income and uh, get life figured out all over again. Yeah. We started this with, with an ironic name, Micah, who is like Yahweh. Well, apparently everybody's like Yahweh. Yahweh is just a, an item on the smorgasbord of life. He's not special. When you don't treat him special, when you go to every other choice, God's not holy and unique anymore. And finally, Jonathan. God has given,
1: he's gonna be the priest. What had God already given? Shiloh, Where, where the tabernacle was,
0: Shiloh, where God's presence was said to dwell, where people could come and inquire of God. Using God to satisfy versus being satisfied in God. Ooh, that's rough stuff right there.
1: Hmm. Are you satisfied with God? You see, certain people want to use God to try to get what they want. These
0: Danites were like, you know what, let's just bring in this priest. Micah was the same way. I'm going to use the things of God to get what I want in life. And those things might even be good. I'll get some security. I might get some wealth. I might get to know what the future is going to be all about. I'm just going to use God to satisfy
1: me and what I want versus I'm going to be satisfied in God. Just let that sink in for a second. What is
0: more like you? Are you looking to have your need? Are Are you looking in your prayer life? Are you more about God? I have these things that I think need to happen and they need to happen, God, so make them happen. Or are you praying, thy will be done? Yeah, I know our prayers are supposed to bring our petitions. I, I get it. But by and large, are you coming to God to satisfy your, is he like just to validate your parking? Or are you really wanting to be satisfied with where God has you? See, that's the blessing of Psalm 23 is the Lord is my shepherd. So I'm the sheep. So am I a satisfied sheep where God has me? Or am I always looking for other pastures? Is God, am I telling God, God, you know, you're great and all, but you suck as a shepherd. Because if you were any better, you'd have me here. And you have me here instead of there. And I see that, and I don't have that. I have this. And so you must really stink as a shepherd because I'm supposed to have that in my estimation. See, using God to satisfy versus being satisfied in God um, and the faithful description of the cults.
1: Yeah. um, The cults are just about getting things. And... Yeah, I mean, that's just what it's it's about here is
0: getting things from God, trying to get things, getting all
1: the juicy marrow out of life. God being a Shiloh, text comes in, the Danites viewed going to, turning to God as an inconvenience. Yeah. Yeah, text this is what the Danites are supposed to be doing driving out the Sidonians.
0: Well, I guess they were uh, they were finding a way to do so I guess, when they were you know, we don't know exactly who these people were. this people they were going after. but
1: yeah, man, cults just take, they're just representations of God. They're just like
0: God light. They're not God for real. They're not all about what God wants or about what I want. And uh, yeah, with uh, that Burger King ad, the text comes in uh, have it your way, have it your way right away. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Um, moral bankruptcy. Um, check out this quote What kind of son steals from his own mother? What kind of mother leads her son into idolatry? What kind of Levite serves at an idolatrous shrine and then happily moves to serve at a bigger idolatrous shrine? What kind of people plunder their own people while on the way to annihilate a peaceful city in a
1: region outside the boundaries of their God-ordained allotment? Yeah. What a morally bankrupt chapter. Israel did what was right in her own eyes. And if any of you for
0: one second were to say that the the doctrine of total depravity is wrong, you read this chapter. Because this is a people who are driven to do what's right in their own eyes. On our own, we're never going to choose God. When we could choose otherwise, we're going to choose otherwise. Because otherwise is fun. And otherwise brings us pleasure that we think is going to satisfy.
1: And yeah, yeah Jeopardy text comes in. What does moral bankruptcy look like? Yes. Um,
0: don't let God and God's word be unknown or ignored. You have
1: influence in your life. People you influence, maybe they're at work. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe you have children.
0: Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you have grandparents. Maybe you have have people that you influence. Don't let God be unknown. Well, I don't have control over all these things. You don't need control over all these things. Look at your area of influence. Look at the people God has brought into your life. They could be social media. They could be at work. They could be who you have an opportunity to influence. With that group of people, don't let God's word be ignored or unknown. You have that responsibility. God, I mean, let your light shine, we're told in Matthew. Let your light shine before all men.
1: Let me see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. This is... How do you you combat moral bankruptcy? You live God's word. You yourself don't be morally bankrupt. Focus on your house and household first. Honor God with your life. Honor God with your choices. I had to learn that with my stinking refrigerator thing tonight
0: and how I'm going to continue to handle that. That's my... I have to honor God. I can't just say, okay, well, life sucks, so I, I'm I get a free one. No, I've got two little kids looking at their daddy and not understanding that concept. Oh, I I can blow my top because my refrigerator blew something else. No. No, no, no. You don't get free ones. And when you mess up, we, we have we, we can come to God, we can say we can we we can offer amends, we can, we can confess our sins, we we can we can
1: offer repentance. I mean, there's things you can do, but How you react matters. In a world that has moral bankruptcy like ours does, where God is a byword, where God is a cuss word, how you live matters. How you live matters. How I live matters. Faithful disciples always start with self-denial. Yeah. This is a very selfish chapter. Every single
0: person in our chapter today was selfish. Every single one. The only one that wasn't selfish were the ones that got conquered in like Laish,
1: that city. They were just sitting there. All of a sudden, they got conquered. Everyone else was trying to discern God's will. And they were selfish. You will never be a faithful disciple if you can't deny yourself. That's not a very bold statement. Jesus said it. You want to fall after me? You start by denying yourself. Discipleship of Jesus, following Jesus, modeling Jesus, starts with self-denial. Excuse me, a text coming in. The living sacrifice of Romans
0: 12 tells us there is... A, There is an element of inconvenience, obedience. Knowing God good, good, pleasing, and perfect will is usually easy. Correct. Faithful disciples always start with self-denial. Even in a morally bankrupt world, even in a world where where God is unknown or ignored and, and the consequences be damned, people don't care, how can we Christians faithfully represent Christ in a world where everything that could possibly replace God has replaced God.
1: How can we still honor God? How can you still honor God? I like to say, who in the story are you? I pray you're nobody in this story. There's nobody in this chapter, in these two
0: chapters that you need to be, okay? But how do you need to live? Let's close with this. Success doesn't determine rightness. Is there success in the story? Yeah. Everybody's successful. Even Micah with his household, like household idols had success. Everything was coming up Millhouse. I mean, he was good. Everything was working out. Everything, everybody had success. See, the problem is the world looks at that and goes, ah, yeah, you know what? Your God must've come through yeah yeah you're one of god's guys i get it you're making it you know god took care of his boy didn't he yeah 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 i get it god's taking care of his girl yeah i see you
1: look at that no success does not determine rightness micah's theft kind of becomes positive for him he didn't get any punishment nothing happened to him
0: even got did took away In the end, the aimlessly wandering Levi succeeds and becomes the high priest of the Danite cult shrine. The Danites, who have failed to trust Yahweh in possessing their God-ordained allotment, they succeeded in possessing their own allotment without any trust in God at all. None of the characters in this section acts with integrity, yet they succeed in most of their agendas and all their machinations. Success, however is not necessarily a sign of righteousness it's no indication that we must be doing something right because look at the how things turned out it's very tempting to go wow you don't need god to get ahead because these guys seized the bull by the horns and made it work and all of a sudden things are all working out for them they had success Success is one of those idols that we long for, that we crave for, that we move ourselves to go after. we got to have success. But success in God's eyes is being a peacemaker, is being meek, is being humble, is mourning.
1: See, success in Jesus' eyes, Jesus, was he successful in the world's eyes? I don't think so looking after his life maybe, what was built from his movement, sure. But just on the
0: aspect of his own life? No, he did not have the worldly success that people crave. And yet we're still talking
1: about him, 2,000 years later. Even people who wouldn't dare touch a Bible know who Jesus is. I mean, how you live this life matters. Your success doesn't determine your
0: righteousness. You know, don't worry about success. Worry about living a righteous life. Worry about honoring God with your life. Worry about trusting God with your life. There's a lot going on here. There's nobody in this text you need to be. But every single person in this text has left a selfish
1: example for you to not follow. And we can learn from that. Yep, Psalm 73. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's exactly right. So, where are you? How are you dealing with this? God is faithful and
0: you're wondering about things as you're having a hard time, as life really sucks sometimes. And you're working things over like, my goodness, what do I do? How do I make this decision? Just trust God, take the next right step, and seek the honor with your life. There's things you can control. Those things, you better be honoring God. And we see a whole bunch of not doing that in this text. And there's things you can't control. And with those things, trust God. This has been Big Rev for Masterclass Theology from Judges 17 and 18. See you next week.